name's Jack, and I'm a drunk, not a fighter. How you doing, folks? <laughs> I like to. Th- How you doing, brother? I like to thank everybody. You know, just uh, the committee and all that. We we enjoyed this weekend. This is Dynamite AA up here. I think Don mentioned that. Uh, it's uh, it's a privilege to talk at any AA meeting, and it's it's really amazing to me. It just keeps me in, in amazement that that. Uh, that I ever got asked to talk in anything like this. You know, I just, uh, all during my drinking, people were telling me to shut up. <laughs> and I don't want you to get the impression that I ever did. I never did shut up. But that was one of the things I heard a lot. Or for God's sake, could you quiet down over there? Could you, could you go somewhere else? You know. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many drunks out here are the kind of drunk I am. You know, Reader's Digest would call a drunk like me a blue-collar problem drinker, you know? And I don't, if you're one of them, you know, you know what that is. That's coffee tables flying and the table getting pounded and stepping on broken beer bottles and there's tires on your front porch and the washing machine's broke and the wife's mad because the curtains aren't right or some stupid thing just because you pulled one down to cover yourself when you're sleeping in the living room or something. <laughs> you go out and you're working on jobs outside in the wintertime and snot's going down your nose. And you, you can't wait to get a drink and everybody's crabby. And uh, it's just, it seemed to me it was different. And, uh, I, uh, I got a story about my alcoholism. Just mine. I don't know, you know, how uh, how that'll affect everyone out here. I I remember when new in AA, I uh, I had a hard time identifying with a lot of speakers, and I the ones I did identify with, I wanted to be like them. I wanted whatever they had because, and that's why I don't qualify what I say up here. I don't say, well, I don't uh, I don't like to tell you about uh, too much drinking. I end up telling about what what I feel like telling. You know, I feel like talking about because that helped me when I was new because I thought that the the way people drank was a was a part of uh, you know if somebody just was nice I, I didn't like people who were just nice you know and there was a lot of them in AA that I seem seem to hear in other words they were they were really nice people and they were bright and they had a great future and uh, they were college bound and everything and they, they had nice parents and everything was just wonderful. And they started to drink. And all that slid away from them. And uh, and then they come into AA. And they just got wonderful again. Just snapped right back to wonderful land, you know. And uh, now I, I couldn't identify with that. And and the worst of it was when I was new, I didn't want to identify with it. Because I already selected those kind of people on my hate list. So I didn't even listen to them at all. You know, I was already victimized with this contempt prior to investigation thing, and uh, so I just wrote them off. But there were speakers that got my attention because, like me, they seemed to be marginally psychotic. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you my story, and if you're a marginal psychopath, I might cheer you up. <laughs> you know? Only I, I only think that because they cheered me up. I don't have any basis in fact. And after you're in AA for a good while, I think I learned some things. I learned 
What I most of the things I learned in AA was that I didn't know something. I learned that, and as time goes on, I finally learned that I don't know anything. You know, it's, it's like the end result. It's like a squirrel cage or something. And I remember talking in a meeting one time. I felt pretty good. You know, the crowd was real responsive, and uh, a lot of people come up shake man. And a guy came up, and uh, he was with a couple other guys. I had seen them earlier at this conference, and they were like good old AAs. They were like three of them or something. And they were always talking and laughing together. And uh, that night, uh, after I got done talking, they come up to thank me among the other people. And uh, when he got up, the one guy was tears rolling down his, his cheek, you know. And, God, I was moved by it. I thought, I must have said something really affected him, you know. And uh, so he come up and thanked me, and his two buddies come up. And I pulled the one buddy aside, and I said, that Jim there, that's Jim's his name. And then he said, yeah. He said, I said, man, he was really crying. He said, I know. He said, he got something in his eye this afternoon that had been bothering him all day. <laughs> So you really don't know. A lot of times it's better probably not to ask, and you just just go around feeling good, you know. But I got this story about me, and uh, and that's all I can tell. And uh, see, I I was sitting on a bar stool, 18 or 19 years old, drunk, and reflecting on how I got in such a mess. How I was only 19 years old, and my whole life was screwed up. And uh, what was I going to do about it? And what caused this? I come up with all the answers, and I took all those answers all through 13 or 14 years of drinking and took it into the first couple of years of uh, not drinking in AA. And they, that was this, that I had a rotten home life. See, we didn't have dysfunctional families then, but uh, I'm sure we had something similar. You know. <laughs> uh, but I, I had this rotten family, as opposed to everyone else had wonderful families, just everybody. And if they did have a bad family, they weren't as bad as mine, you know. But they had some redeeming factor in their family. Maybe they had a little more money or maybe they, maybe something, you know. And maybe they were, I thought they were better looking or there was less chance of their hair falling out or something. You know? and, uh, and I, uh, so I reflected on that, this, on this bar stool. And, uh, I had a, I had a father who was a professional bridegroom. He was married five times. He had one kid, me, and he quit that. <laughs> and even at the, even a young man like that, I was curious about that, you know. And I had a, a mother, I had a working mother. Now that was back in the fifties, and uh, and a lot, a lot of the women stayed at home and done just done lofty things for their their kids. It seemed to me they mothers always baking pies and running out to to kiss their little boy on that cheek or something, and my mother was busy. And, uh, but I had a grandmother that, that took that chore up, you know. My, my God rest her soul, I, I love her, and uh, she loved me, I'm sure. She was the damnedest woman I ever seen in my life. She weighed about 350 pounds, and she used to waddle out onto the street and get involved with me and my peers. Uh... And I don't know if the term involvement is right, but I mean, she would come out and give opinions and things. And then, then she'd blow her nose on her apron and go back in the house. And all the, all these peers of mine, they would uh, laugh at my grandmother and, uh, and make fun of her and everything. And I had mixed emotions, you know. And I hated those kids for laughing at my grandmother, and I hated my grandmother for coming out and doing that. 
she just stay in the house. And it seemed like it was all about me, me, me. I could feel this me coming in. I'm, I'm like the world is out there like lions and I got a whip and a chair and I'm trying to keep everybody off of me. Leave me alone. It's me. And that, and I don't know whether I got self-centered on account of that or whether I was one of them ones with a couple bolts missing from the beginning or what the hell is the matter. But I got too full of me and I knew that wasn't any good. See, if a person's really good and self-centered, you can be good if you want. You, I, I could be so good it just gag you, you know. But I, but I had to do that myself. And what was killing me was the responsibility of all this. The responsibility of being me. And I thought, I gotta handle everything. And I'm only a kid, you know. And I didn't know what to do. And I'd wake up in the morning and I'd start thinking things. I wonder if that kid's gonna punch me, you know. He was pretty mad yesterday. And he would like, have forgot. Because he wasn't so self centered I never forgot. I was like rock and roll, you know. I mean, I just never forgot. And, and so I thought other people were like me. And I, and I got, I'm a young kid and I'm cynical already, you know. And I, and I wanna, and I wanna fight and I'm, I'm thinking what's the best way to fight? Well, the best way to fight is hit them first. You know, and uh, cause don't wait for now. I was tortured to stand there. I wonder if he's gonna punch me. I wonder if he's gonna, I punch him just to get it over with, you know. And I thought I had a bad attitude for doing things like that. <laughs> and, uh, and I got about eight or nine years old. My mother remarried. And I got a stepfather that was a cross between Archie Bunker and Adolf Hitler. <laughs> and also, he was a man. I mean, a man. He was like a cement block with hair on it. <laughs> And and it seemed to me that his hobby was knocking the hell out of me, you know. And uh, I didn't realize until after I got sober, my ho- hobby was deserving it. I had no idea about that until I got here. And, got, and I didn't, it didn't happen as soon as I walked in here. You didn't give me my first cup of coffee, and I said, boy, have I been wrong, you know. <laughs> I didn't say that. So, I get to that, though. And... uh so I just had problems with him. And I got this self-centeredness, which is already an undercurrent of tribulation. And now I got this, this reality in my life that's not setting too good. And, and I'm terrified all the time. I'm always afraid because it seemed even if I went over all the things that he could possibly be mad about, I'd miss one, you know. And then he'd come down on me like a ton of bricks. And I, so I was just always on edge and everything. And, uh, and I didn't like it. So I didn't do good in school. And I was one of those kids they pick on for, you could do better. You know, and they get mad about it. I, I envied the other kids that were genuinely stupid. Because they'd give them a coloring book or something and just uh, come over and wipe the spit off their mouth once in a while. And this is the way I wanted treated. I didn't want to come in, did you finish that yet? Did you finish that? You know, I didn't want to hear that. I just want. I didn't like it in there. You know, I didn't want to know the capitals of all the states. The things, the pressing issues to me, I wanted to know were why you can't stick a cat's tail in a light socket. I wanted to know that. (laughs) And I wanted to know something that was so important that later on in life somebody wrote a book about and made a lot of money. I wanted to know if patent leather shoes really reflected up. And the teachers and all the people in authority, all of them, whoever they are, would always be directing me away from what I liked. 
You know, I could see what I liked over here, and I'm trying to get it, and it just seemed to me there was a like an undercurrent of keep him away from it. And then they'd bite the other kids over. Come on over, kids. You know, but not you, because you've already done something. You know, and I wouldn't understand even what it was, because I couldn't see it as being wrong. And I got more into that self-centered stuff, and I was trying, I was like either on a defense or I was on the offense. It was never like spontaneous with me. You know, I remember seeing a movie once, crazy stuff happened to me. I seen a, some kind of newsreel movie with the other kids. I guess we were all eight or ten years old. And there's a motorcycle guy going over this hill, and uh, and he wrecks. And everybody laughed. And I was, like, surprised they laughed. And I thought, what's funny about that? Jesus, the guy's head over tin cups going down and smacking his head on rocks and everything. They're all laughing. I thought, shit, I'll laugh too, you know, because uh, I guess that's the way you do it. But that self-centeredness made me feel like now i got to remember that, you know, laugh when somebody gets hurt, you know. And... uh it just seemed like an awful big job, and it was complicated. I had no one to share this with. You know, I mean, we didn't share. You know, in the 50s, you didn't share. And you did not have meaningful relationships. And we did not have sound bites, you know, much less this point in time and other creations from the 70s and that. We just didn't have none of that. And uh, I was just thoroughly confused. Maybe I'd have got by with a few sound bites here and there. And, but uh, I was trying Try to get by without him, I guess. But I, uh, I saw because of my discipline problem in, in junior in school and that, well, I started doing a lot of things I wanted to do. And uh, I, uh, I got a little band going in those days. And uh, I'm going to junior high school, and there's supposed to be an assembly for us to uh, have a little like talent show. And uh, so uh, we had to audition. Well, by this time, I already know that the teachers aren't going to let me play what I want to play up there. So we auditioned a little tune called Mockingbird Hill. Silliest little thing I ever heard in my life. Little waltz, you know. And uh, so we played that. And they said, oh, you can play that on assembly. So we got on assembly. And I told the guys in the band we're going to play this brand new thing we heard called Night Train. And uh, so we played that instead. Well, this was back in 1954. And, and all the uh, kids are up on the seats. And the teachers are up in arms. And uh, combining this with me... Uh, forging library passes and selling them and selling dirty pictures and uh, smoking cigarettes or whatever the hell else I was doing, why they threw me out of that school. I was going to like a little borough, a little borough of Pittsburgh called Swissville. I was going there and they paid the city of Pittsburgh to have me go down to one of the inner city trade schools. And they put those schools they find the worst. Where's the most prostitutes, numbers, writers? Put the school right there. Put them little devils over there and we'll watch them. And don't put no girls in that place with them. Oh, God, no. Not our daughters, you know. So it was all boys. Every one of them come from all around Allegheny County. The very worst of the worst. You know, we should have had a banner. We could have flew, you know. And, uh, and I majored in playing a, a dozens. You know, that's where I say something bad about your mom. And you say something bad about mine. The, the last person to say something witty gets punched. So that was like sort of like a game. And uh, I went down there with this stupid name, Jack Dempsey, and it seemed to me everybody in the school wanted to beat me up. And I bet you it was close to 60% of them were able to, you know. And uh, but uh, all the kids down there were bad. You know, they tell you, too, I'm bad. And, uh, they were bad. And I was like fake bad. 
And I knew that. I seemed to be the only one that thought that. Everybody you see either was bad or they weren't bad. And I was not bad, and I was trying to be bad. And, uh, oh, I just had a terrible time down there. And uh, we didn't have any race trouble down there. Everybody hated everybody equally in that place. <laughs> so I remember right. This was the good old days, you know. And uh, so I end up getting a, I get in a plumbing shop, and I got, that's where we learn how to moon you in front of your sink, you know. We, that's some of the things you learn down there in trade school. <laughs> so, but anyhow, I got a buddy in a print shop, and he used to make me report cards, brand new report cards. And so I would put the grades down. And when I'm talking near my house, I never admit to making bad grades, you know, because I had some potential customers out there uh, in my plumbing business. But uh, I made good grades in plumbing. I just made bad grades in the subjects I didn't like. And uh, So anyhow, that's why I had bad grades in math, so that's why I'm laying the pipe down and marking it like this instead of measuring it, you know. <laughs> That's not true either, I should say. <laughs> Somebody in Pittsburgh get to state one of my sponsors, uh, uh, the Internal Affairs Division of Pittsburgh AA will be looking through this stuff and, <laughs> and allow to lose everything. But I, uh, I got those report cards and I put grades on there. I thought the old boy would buy because he certainly didn't like anything I earned. And, uh, so I was doing fine with that. You know, I mean, I wasn't stupid enough to put A's on there. You know, I'd, I'd go as low as I could, and he'd start to get angry, and then I'd, you know, I'd bring it up a little bit. You know, and, uh, bring another one down, maybe. You know, and I was going along pretty nice. And one day, uh, we got our report cards. Now I didn't have any more of them new ones. That kid was in juvenile court that had the cards, and uh, I couldn't get any. And I had to try and f- f- uh, fake this one. I had this original, and I messed around with it for a while and I ruined it and uh and I had to take that home now he wasn't home when I got home he was at work and he would be back and I paced the house waiting for him to come back uh, I was 15 years old it's, oh it's just terrifying and I found slow gin in the icebox and I drank now, I didn't find an answer I mean I found the answer, see, just like as if they used to tell me smoking is a crutch. You know, smoke is a crutch, and alcohol was a health system. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, everything that I've been whining and crying about now for, jeez, uh, I lost Kevin's watch over. Everything I've been whining and crying about for ten minutes or so went away. Now, I spent the next 13 or so years trying to explain to them, you know, I'd say, now look, give me your attention for a moment. When I'm not drinking, you complain so of my drinking. Now, when I'm not drinking, I have thoughts like sticking a pistol in my ear, you know, and and I hate everything. And when I'm drinking, I feel wonderful. What? part don't you understand I just couldn't understand how people didn't grasp that you know and I got I got married young I met that girl looks come with me down there my wife 40 years married you know and uh, boy I tell you that girl is something else you know 
Well, she's nuts. You heard her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's nuts. It's just like, what was it? Roger Marks or something to anybody that would allow him in a club. He didn't want to belong to a club that would allow him in. You know, I mean, that was... I got married to this girl, and she's she's my honey, you know. And uh, boy, uh, I'm, I know how squirrely I am, you know. And but <laughs> she, well, I got her drunk the first time I met her and smashed her glasses, so she took me in, you know. Uh, that's not true either. I tell a lot of lies, but I usually try to catch them myself and let you know. <laughs> and, uh, but. Uh, I used to tell her when we were going together about them, how terrible they were, you know, and how life was like a sack of monkey puke or something. And and, uh, everybody was dishonest and corrupt and unfair and there was no justice and everything was bad. And and she just looked at me. I thought she agreed with me because she wouldn't say nothing, you know. And uh, I told her about them. And uh, we got married. I wasn't married too long, I realized. I was married into the enemy camp. <laughs> my wife was one of them. And I'll give you an illustration about the difference between the way my wife is and the way I am. Now, I'm sober a long time now, and uh, I stop at stop signs now. I actually do. And uh, Now, if you ask me about that, I'd say, yes, I stop at stop signs, and I would tell you why. You'd start to walk on. i said, say, well, wait, wait a minute. You know, you asked me, I told you, but let me tell you, uh, I stop at stop signs because I don't want to hurt anybody now. You know, I, I got that part of the promises where I think of others. I really do, and I don't want to hurt anybody with my car. And also, I don't want to get a ticket, much less smash my car up. You imagine I pull out there and some guy like I used to be just comes racing through there and plows into me, and then I, I, my car will be down there getting fixed. And you know how that is. There will always be a bent frame or some kind of twitch in the damn thing or from then on, you know. So I don't want that to happen. Now, if you ask my wife about that, you stop at stop signs. Now, my wife wouldn't understand the question. She'd say, what? Do you stop at stop signs? Why, certainly I stop at stop, stop signs. Oh. Well, Why? Why? Well, really, I guess because you're supposed to. Now, I'd never done anything in my entire life because I was supposed to. Drunk or sober. A lot of times I did things I was supposed to do because at the moment that seemed to me the best thing to do anyhow. But that was always a factor that slowed me down. Somebody would say, Jack, you're supposed to, and that would shut me off. Because I would think, what? You know, what do you, what do you mean? What do you want? Well, you're supposed to do this and that. And I said, quit saying it's supposed to, because that makes me not want to do it right away. You know, and I got to get over that, so I'm hampered. I'm handicapped. And now you wonder why the other guy, yes, sir, jumps down there and does it. You know, he's not burdened with a mind, you know. <laughs> and uh got a couple speakers I got this weekend. You probably have enough of that when I'm done here. I know guys like Bill think that son of a bitch. I, you know, if I, well, I wish I could sponsor him. I think I'll write New York, you know. <laughs> but don't worry, I have, we got Pittsburgh's full of bills, man. Just full. And they anyway, refer you to one of the other ones. 
And a lot of them are like they they fake you out because they don't look mean or nothing, you know. A lot of them are like, damn gray hair guy. My wife used to run me over to guys like him and turn me in. She said that the other day. She said, you know what he said today? Tell him, Jack, you know. <laughs> and uh but most of the time them guys like Bill the beauty parlor was, they'd laugh. You know, they'd wait to give the courtesy to let my wife walk away. They didn't want to embarrass her. But they'd laugh and they'd say, oh, boy, I tell you, Jack, you're something else, man. When are you going to get through hurting that, like that? When are you going to quit doing shit that just turns on you? Well, I don't know. I just get sick on her. You know. Say, well, when you get sick of you, you'll start making some headway. You know. Meanwhile, I love this three-ring circus you bring here every week. You come in here. You know, entertain. You get tired of entertaining them old-timers like that, you know. But uh, AA was a little bit down the road for me. But first, I had to do some really dumb stuff, and uh, so I got this bride of mine, and and we're trying to be a family, and I'm trying to drink because I found out that drinking was where I was, what I was supposed to do to to make life livable. And so I drank, and I knew right away, you know, when I learned how to drink, that that nobody would want me to drink because they didn't like me to do anything that I liked to do. They kept, they didn't want me to be around girls. They didn't want me to eat ice cream. They want you to eat spinach and stuff. And then they tell you on Sunday about God is good. And I couldn't figure out what kind of God would make spinach good for you and ice cream not. You know? <laughs> I mean, if evolution should be the answer to that. I mean, if, you know, you survive if you eat ice cream. You die if you eat spinach. <laughs> and they wouldn't even have anybody dumb enough to plant that crap then, you know. <laughs> Just couldn't understand that stuff. Everything, if it's chocolate, it'd make your teeth fall out, you know. And uh, we didn't even have that fluorine in that water when I was a kid. And I had Dr. Mengele for a goddamn dentist. <laughs> I'm sorry about my language, you know, and I get carried away, you know. One of the things that brought that to my mind again was I just got screwed around with that health care thing, and they told me, you can't have your dentist who you admitted to being a wimp with, and and we've dealt with that already. You know, he doesn't, I do his plumbing work for me, so he doesn't refer to me being a wimp anymore. And, uh, and I don't charge him as much, you know. But uh, but now i got to go to a brand new dentist. I have to go in there and say, yeah, I want everything. I want laughing gas. And I want you to counsel me. And, <laughs> and I, I mean, I just don't expect to. 250-pound plumber to act like that, you know. I'd just as soon catch my fingers in a, in a sawzall than go to a damn dentist, you know. <laughs> Any plumbers out here know about how them saws off all the they biting and they stuck in there and you've got your chin under there looking at it and hits you about 12 times before you get your finger off the trigger, you know. <laughs> People can hear you hollering and the machine's still running. They wonder. <laughs> and you can't drop it because you know if you drop it, it's going right through some some $400 a sheet tile or some damn thing on it. Just take your lumps, that's all. Try to charge them more, you feel better. <laughs> but I have. Uh... Oh, man. And, and, and so I started to try and deal with this alcoholism. I, I, I didn't know what to do with it. I tried to read myself out of it. I thought it was a, like a dumb problem. And I always liked to read. So I read all the wrong stuff. You know, I think a lot of alcoholics like me, you get, you get to know things you shouldn't know. You know, 
You shouldn't know. I, I was reading all his self-improvement books up to the last. The very last one I was into was, I'm okay, you're not okay. And, and prior to that, I was reading Maxwell Maltz's Psycho-Cybernetics, and I, I, growing up absurd, and oh my God, everything. And I, in the 60s, uh, late 60s, I read all the Radicals books. I loved Oh, I love that uh, revolution for the hell of it. Steal this book. I stole it. That was A.B. Hoffman. Matter of fact, first when I was sober, A.B. was in jail. I wanted to write him a letter and tell him how uh, how he helped me. <laughs> and he did, too. I mean, he helped me. You know, I, he, he educated me a little bit, but I, I didn't want to go to jail like him. My sponsor says, don't send that letter to him. My God, you, your taxes will get investigated and everything. Quit it. He said, try and make amends to your wife before you start on stuff like that. <laughs> so you're sober six months and you were married already, what, 18 years or something. You can't remember your, the color of your wife's eyes. She, but it's hard, you know, to remember stuff like that. Birthdays. I always remember she had real shapely legs. As a matter of fact, when I first met her, I didn't see her eyes. You know, I just looked at her legs. <laughs> I fell in love with her before I ever looked her in the face. <laughs> I was 17 years old. When you're 17, you know, you're like a big box of hormones or some damn thing. A lot of them young girls, they scared me because I had God give me two daughters so I could worry about shit like that. <laughs> the girls were, seemed to be all trusting in that, and they were all from Venus, you know, and they were all dealing in feelings. And the boys were all dealing in, what can I get today? <laughs> At least the ones I knew, the ones I was, were. And uh, so you could see I was troubled by a lot of things other than alcohol all my life, you know. But, uh, oh, man, I read all that stuff, and now I'm a plumber that knows this. I don't want to study uh, piping design or anything. All them other guys are doing that, and they're going on ahead with these big jobs, you know, and I'm reading philosophy books, and I'm becoming a regular dingbat. And, uh, and I'm hiding stuff I take to work to read. I remember subscribing to Psychology Today because I I was bent and determined to make some kind of a psychological experiment and make everybody call me Mr. Dempsey in the shop. And I did that, but it takes a lot of negative feedback, you know, to do that. Because first I had to get somebody to call me Mr. in a negative way. So I could get the ball rolling. So they would all call me Mr. Dempsey, you know, and it, and I didn't like the way they said it, but I had a hard time changing that. I couldn't change that, but I got them all call me Mr. But I'm hiding these books. I got Playboy covers around these psychology of the days. And it just seemed to me there was some kind of a, a hole in the justice or something that, that it'd be like that. And, uh, so I was nuts and I was, you know, I'd, I'd be, drunk, and I'd come in, and I'd be sleeping in my car, and them guys would wake me up, and they loved it. They'd come down and see me slouch down in the seat of my car, you know, trying to get, I couldn't go home, you know, because when I got home, uh, the doorknob was connected to her mouth when I get up on that porch, <laughs> and I'd have to get them speeches about where, what I was doing and all that stuff, and I didn't want to hear it, and I was sick, so a lot of times I'd just, I'd just go down by the plant, and that way I'd get a decent parking place, because there was nobody else there yet. And then all them early bird wonderful guys would come to work. You know, you could set your clock by them, you know, in carpools. They had carpools before it was fashionable. You know, they'd all ride together and they'd talk and be laughing. 
and they'd leap out of their cars. All the doors would open, you know, and they'd all be out there with their tidy little lunch buckets and everything. And I got a sandwich that I got down at the club. It's uh, some booze joint, and it was, I had it in my pocket. I'll take that to lunch. I ain't going home, you know, and I'd stuff the damn thing. I had mayonnaise on my suit jacket and that. And I'd go in, I'd have that to take in the plant with me, you know. And they'd all come down. He knocked on the window. Hey, hey, Jack, yeah, you coming to work, you know. I'm down there looking up. So what's that on your chin, you know? And I'm like this and looking. I don't know what it is. Maybe I puked on the door and I got it on the armrest knots on me. And, uh, it was just awful, and, I, and, uh, and I'd go in that plant, and I'd work, and I'd get all the worst jobs, and uh, some of it was actual, and some of it was my imagination. I just thought that I got the worst jobs, worked the worst place with the worst boss, that the fellow workers were all mean and stupid, and oh, I just, everything was bad for me, and once again, everything was good for you. And uh, the only thing that was easing this pain was drinking. Because I drank away that rotten childhood. And now I got the childhood still there to pop up in case I got nothing else to think about. And uh, and I got all these current problems. And I needed a higher power desperately. And uh, I thought I found one early in my drinking. I found Beneficial Finance Company. <laughs> Because a lot of times money, in my judgment, was the, was my biggest problem. And I found out, I remember one time a guy asked me, if they, they used to sell the Irish sweepstakes, and they probably all counterfeit tickets, I don't know. But I, I never had enough money to buy one anyhow, you know. But I, they were talking about what would happen if you hit, you know, the old, what would you do if you get for a million dollars or something. And I, I had one of those moments of clarity that we talked about. You know, I'm sitting in a bar, and I'm drinking Corby's. And uh, Iron City beer they made in Pittsburgh, and I and I'm looking at the, the shelf there with the booze off, you know. And I thought if I want a million dollars, I'm going to move up one shelf. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to lay the Corby's down, and I'm going for the granddad and all that stuff, you know. And uh, but I wouldn't drink scotch or something because of rich guys and. Yuppies, or whatever the hell you call them, with their attache case. And I'm the kind of guys that you're hauling cast iron bathtubs up and down three floors all day, and they ask you why you don't jog after work, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but anyhow, then when the guys drinking scotch and other peculiar drinks with green things in it were really for girls, you know. And, uh, but I, uh, I I would have moved up to that. I'd have drank to. I'd have told him to put the fifth to Granddad in front of me on a bar with the lid off, you know. And I would have just stuck that right in there. And I would have went over and put forty dollars in the jukebox on my favorite tune, and you'd have listened to it all night, you know. Or we'd have fought. And uh, and I had trouble with that on occasion, but. <laughs> But most of the time, people would just say, oh, Jesus, they go somewhere else. You know, they could, I knew they couldn't stand me, and I hated that. You know, I felt rotten because people would get, couldn't stand me. I hated it. I, I told a pigeon when I, I had this guy for a pigeon for a while. I said, you know, I know I was obnoxious when I was, uh, when I was drinking. I said, what do you think about, what do you think I come off as? He said, you're just overbearing now. You've made a lot of headway, you know. <laughs> And then, hey, you can't, you know, you can't fire a pigeon for something like that. You gotta just, well, okay, you know. 
And uh, he made me a, somebody was talking, I think it was Don was talking about doing things backwards. And this guy made me a little plaque that had two feet on it. It says, it's called Praying Feet for somebody that does the program backwards. <laughs> I thought that was quite clever. And, uh, but I do a lot of stuff. I got a lot of fun in AA like that. Doing things, just crazy things. But anyhow, uh, I went through the whole gamut trying to quit drinking. Last couple of years of my drinking, all I did was quit drinking. And I drank more when I was quitting than I did when I just drank. <laughs> I think you got to be an alky to understand that, you know. And uh, then I, my, I end up a psychiatrist. Imagine. <laughs> and a psychiatrist hurt my feelings. I don't know why he did that. Well, see, I had an alcoholic mind. And before I went to the psychiatrist, I had to decide what I was going to tell him because that was pertinent to what he was going to do with me. I mean, I'm thinking all the time. I'm not going to tell this guy everything I did, much much less everything I thought. He would probably be legally obligated to have me gassed, you know. <laughs> so I'm not going to tell him that. I'm just not. And I'm not going to tell him something stupid like, you know what, I, I've been doing a little drinking and... uh one night I stepped out on the little missus, can you imagine? And uh, he would say, well, that's that's too bad. Uh, don't drink anymore and uh, get a nice hobby, like stamps or something. And, and come back next week and give me another hundred bucks. You know. And I knew not to do that, so I thought I'd give him something right in the middle. You know. So I took truth. I didn't was lies. I took some truth and I put all a little package, a small package of degradation and and being a rake and that, and I handed him that, and, and uh, my God, you just thought I was Jeffrey Dahmer or something. <laughs> he just turned on me, and he was, uh, well, he, he accused me of being late in something, uh, you know. And uh, in the 50s, that didn't, uh, you know, that didn't get down good with the guys. And, uh, and, I, and I didn't think I was, really, but I thought maybe he told me that because, uh, he wanted to make me mad so I'd spill my guts, you know. And I'm already dangerously overeducated in an area I don't know anything about. <laughs> and uh and so I'm I'm a hard to handle type case. And so I have no idea why he did that. And I and I I just got bogged down in that. But after I got an AI I realized that I'm a uh, I'm a potential anything. You know, I mean, I could be, I don't know what the hell would happen. It's like a surprise for me the last couple of years of my drinking. When I drank, what would pop up? Uh, it was always a bad surprise, but I mean, I thought, well, I'll never do this or I won't do that. And then I would do that. I don't know where the thoughts would come to my mind and I would do stuff that I was just, you know, like it says in a big book, when we get to that drinking stuff again, uh, after being sober a while, that would slide back into incomprehensible demoralization. I don't think that means wearing a lampshade on your head at a party, you know. I mean, we don't get here from singing too loud in church. At least the ones that helped me get sober, the ones I've been with, we're just awful. I mean, I don't want my uh, kids or grandkids hanging around with people like me, you know. And, uh, but <laughs> people like me, they got to do something about that because I was either going down to shoot or I was coming out of it. I didn't know which way to go. 
And I don't want to get back in that again. I don't want, I, I didn't come here, you know, uh, skipping and jumping and doing cartwheels. You know, I, I come here dragging, they were, I was screaming, they were dragging me in here. And, and, uh, I, see, I didn't know what was here when I first came. The worst thing could possibly happen to me was come to Alcoholics Anonymous in my judgment before I come here. I did not want to come here. I knew, see, I knew everything, first off. So I knew what this place would be absolutely full of people I didn't like. I just knew it. The kind of people. I mean, the kind that hand you a prayer track when you're trying to cover a bad check or something. Well, he guess you'll be, get away from me. You know, I remember a comedian at Flip Wilson one time was talking about his car was stuck. He went over in a little embankment. He's stuck down in a gully or something. And he doesn't have a driver's license. And the registration on the car has expired. And he's been drinking a little bit. And a good person, one of them, comes and lights flares and sticks them all around the car. You know? <laughs> and he said, you know, you don't want that. That draws cops, man. They see them flares. They'll be right there. He said, you ever try to blow out a flare? You know? <laughs> And that, that was the kind of problems I had with everything that the world seemed to have set up already to take care of problems. Because they they always had different problems with me. My problems always had some kind of a, a little bit of a thing to them that weren't, you couldn't fix them on normal channels, you know. I remember going in the bank, I'm trying to cover a check. I wrote a check that is gorilla. Uh, to co- I, I wrote him a football ticket, and he won, and I didn't have the money. And uh, so I got some sort of an extension based on him holding my life in his hands. <laughs> and I had completely forgot about him because I was having such a good time drinking and puking that when I did come to realize that I had to give him that money, I didn't have, you know, and I, and I stole some money out of my wife's purse. And I took it down there in order to cover that check. And I get in line in the bank, and it was just typical. It would be somebody, an older woman in front of me in the bank. And she's talking to the teller about, has Harry got called back to work yet? You know, and just the stupidest mundane, I want my check in there. That gorilla's going to come, and he's going to not get the check's going to bounce, and he's going to tear my lips off. And you're in this line, and what's the, what are you doing down here anyhow? I mean, are you going to uh, cash in 4,000 pennies or some other bullshit, you know? Oh, I just hate it. I literally hated all the people that did the kind, gentle. And even when I first come in AA, it seemed like every other person that get up at this podium and say, and now... I can smell the flowers outside. <laughs> what? I just want to stop for two minutes of thinking about killing myself. That's all I ask. You know. Or just give me some kind of a dispensation so I can drink for two days. <laughs> give me some kind of a two-day program or something under... Some kind of study. Can I get in something where they're studying alcoholics or something? You know? And I didn't want all that aggravation. I didn't know what to do. And my mind just raced all the time. The only cure for my mind racing, it wasn't even a complete cure, but the only thing that ever 
even come close to working was some kind of gratification. I mean, I had a hard time commit, wanting to commit suicide in the middle of having sex. I just, I never thought about it then. I never thought about it when I was, when I was eating a good dinner when I was hungry and I got steak stuffed in there, butter and rolls. I just wasn't thinking of suicide. I thought, well, if I did it was I'll kill myself after I eat. You know? <laughs> when I was in the middle of playing a pinball machine, I wanted, didn't want to commit suicide. I would when I'd run out of quarters and I, and I'd walk up on my way over to ca- cash another bad check in order to get more quarters to get further in debt. I'd have that feeling. But then the hope of coming back and hitting that machine. You know, I thought maybe I'd hit that pinball machine. I'd be able to go to Europe or something, you know. But you're probably the best you could win, $25 or something. But, I mean, any time I was in, in complete self-gratification, I had some measure of relief. But the thing that worked best of all, which was my total downfall, was alcohol. Because, you know, I got spiritual when I was drinking alcohol. Now, if people talk about smelling roses, I could sit on a step, drunk, drinking whiskey, and be entertained and thralled with the cockroach. Just looking. And I remember, I remember some years later, I remember hearing that song, Wasted Away in Margaritasville, you know? And that was me. I identified with that. I mean, a guy, it, it wasn't going back to college. I mean, I wasn't a college guy, but. He wasn't going back to school. He had missed uh, starting in September. He's at the beach, and uh, and he's he's right barefooted, and it's getting cold now. His girlfriend, he got a Mexican girl tattooed on his arm, you know, and he can't go home with that. And, and he knows it's dumb to get that tattoo, but isn't she a cutie and all that? And, he, and he's just, uh, he steps on a pop top and cuts his foot, and he, he's drinking tequila. And he's, he's looking for salt. You gotta have salt when you drink tequila. I mean, drink it anyhow, dummy. Don't let that slow you down, but, but try and get the salt. Make a thing about the salt. And that's what he did. He spent a whole day drinking tequila and looking for his lost shaker of salt. I mean, now nah, that's entertainment. You know? You're an alcoholic, you don't need a big deal. You could start out with a big deal. I'm going to run off to Venezuela with three women. What do you think of that? You need to do that, really. You could just go down the, down the street and sit there on a dirty bar stool and just drink. And that's even better. Going anywhere. Much less home, listen to her holler at me. You know, listen to them kids crying. Always some connection with me. You know, I wouldn't see them for three days, and somehow when I went home, it was my fault. They're all crying. <laughs> Everybody's mad. The neighbors are mad. Job boss is mad. Wife's mad. My mother's mad. And I didn't even do nothing but get drunk. <laughs> the hell, I mean, I got people who should should really be mad. They don't even know about the three cards that I sideswiped and just kept going. You know? <laughs> and I'm thinking, imagine them guys. I mean, they got reasons to be mad. You know? And I might run into them yet. And I'm just starting to worry about whether they see me or not now that I'm starting to get sobered up. And you ask me, you are wondering why I want to get out and get more to drink, man. I'm scared to death. Well, don't do that, and you won't be scared anymore. <laughs> don't do that. When are you going to quit drinking? Quit drinking when you're having a good time? 
You know, just imagine that. You're having fun, man. Everything's going your way. You're getting lucky. And everything's nice. And you're just feeling mellow and high. I'm quitting. <laughs> now, that ain't going to happen. Now, when's the other time to quit? When you owe everybody and their brother. Nobody in this world is talking to you. Your kids are crying. Neighbors are mad at you. Police are looking for you. I'm going to quit. You know, just put that aside. Push it aside and get to your own bootstraps and yank on them and get out there and fess up to all the things you did and take your medicine. And uh, everybody will really appreciate you then, you know. Yeah, right. There just is no time to quit drinking. There just ain't never a time to stop drinking. That's why we don't really have to quit. All we have to do is don't drink today, no matter how tough it is. And that was a good trick they played on me when I come here. I come in AA January 1969. I got had my last drink April the 18th, 1970, which allows for a period of time where my home group called me Jack the Slipper. <laughs> and I didn't like it. And I could stay sober three or four months, and then I'd get drunk. And then when I'd come back, I'd only get still be short drunks because I wanted to, I didn't want to do this anymore. But they'd always tell me I didn't have the first step, and they were wrong. They were wrong. Don touched on this uh, last night. They were wrong because it wasn't the first step that uh, that was causing my problem. See, I already I admitted I was powerless over alcohol, and my life was unmanageable. But the trick in that is, if you're powerless over alcohol, you're going to drink. That's what happened to me. I was powerless over alcohol. Big deal. I said it. I knew it. Well, what am I going to do about it? You say, I'm pilot over alcohol. Here it comes. And, and you're, I'm drunk. And uh, and it was no big thing to that. The trick was to come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me sanity. That was the trick. See, since, pardon me, since I had this thing about contempt prior to investigation going for me, I didn't understand what they were saying. They said it. I read it. I heard it every night at meetings. We came to believe that a power greater than ourself could restore us to sanity. That's not what I heard. You imagine that? They said it ain't what I heard. What I heard was, do you finally believe everything that Methodist minister told you when you were just a little snot? I mean everything. When they got up there and they said that Apostles' Creed, I mean every word, like everyone else believed. Everyone in that church would leap up all at once. And they say, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, and in His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was uh, conceived of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was created on and on, crucified, dead, and buried. And the Methodist said, he was dead and buried and then ascended into heaven. The Lutherans and the Catholics said he descended into hell, then ascended into heaven. And meanwhile, you got epistles and apostles. They're talking about it going all around. I don't know what the hell they're talking about. No idea what they're talking about. Just further making me think that I'm stupid. It's a stupid thing. It's a stu- If I only go to school more or something. If I get to be a lawyer, you know, something, you know. You're just not going to see this in the Allegheny County Plumbing Code. It ain't in there. <laughs> and that guy down at down the plumbing inspector's office told me that's all I need to know. But I better know that. Or he'll be tearing my license up and saying, now nah, you'll go drink. You know. And so I didn't know what to do. You know. But on top of that, there was people that not only did the Hebrews didn't even said that he didn't even come yet, let alone go. You know. So there's blocks of millions of people that believe contradictory things. And I mean, they believe it. They're like serious. What do you mean? Oh, I believe. And I would stand, I believe, I believe, and it ain't coming. I just, I don't believe. I'd stop saying I believe, I believe, and I'd turn around and say, you know what? I still don't believe. It's not that I'm not nice. It's not that I don't want to believe. 
I mean, you can't take a person and just make them believe unless you give them some kind of shot or something. I don't know. How the hell are you going to believe? I had to have proof. I was at Doubting Thomas. They even had references in organized religion to people like me. And after I was in AA, well, I'm reading a big book and reading different AA literature. I remember seeing something in there about many of us bristled with antagonism at the mere mention of organized religion. That's me. I just hated to hear it because it just seemed like they were all sheep. Oh, we believe, we believe. And they would all just go and they would all, and they all done things and they were all surprised when they did it. Because I followed other people's lives. I watched them. And they were all surprised when they cheated on their wife. You know, all the good people. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> An alcoholic is burdened with knowing right from the start this little thing inside like Don talked about. Hey, Jack, you're looking at that chick, ain't you? Huh? You've got ideas now, you know, and you think you're going to do it. And I would, a lot of times, what saved me was that I was usually drunk and I'd put some kind of a real good rap on a girl because I was mad at my wife. Because my wife sh- uh, shut me off a lot of times. I mean, I puked on her a couple of times while we were... And she just, uh, she wanted something more. I don't know what kind of... You know, them women are from Venus anyhow. I don't know what the hell she wanted. And so I'd try to get a fresh one down the bar, you know. I, I wanted an alcoholic woman a lot of times because, well, somebody I could have DTs together with, you know. I couldn't have an alcoholic woman at all because, you know, they're nuts, really. They are just stone crazy, alcoholic women. I mean, they're... You get in a bar and, and uh, you know, they're just to kid around and have fun to throw your car keys in a sewer grate or something, you know. <laughs> to keep you in the bar because they've seen you got a, still got ten bucks left or something. It's laying on a bar wet and they want it. It belongs in their whiskey glass. It don't, certainly don't belong at home with your wife and your kids, you know. And I didn't, I didn't, well, I'll get some more money somehow. You know, I'll, I'll do something. I'll sell one of the kids or something. <laughs> And I was drinking, I mean, I just, I had crazy, I just thought I didn't care. You know, it'll be alright when I get home. Maybe she'll be sleeping. Maybe there's some kind of way I can get out from under this. I don't know, you know, but my whole life was just a wreck like that in there. So I, so here is AA gonna fix me with this, uh, don't drink, you know, don't drink today. And I didn't know what to do. But I kept going to meetings. And the people that sobered me up were not the old timers. You know, it's real easy. It's like apple pie and mom, you know, to say about old timers. Everybody says, that's right. Boy, them old timers. The old timers aren't the ones saving me. I want to tell you guys out there that are sober a year, two years, how good, how important you are to guys like me. When I was fairly new, these guys would make me go. They'd hear my, my plight. You know, I'd tell them, well, it's man, I got drunk, you know. Well, I'll tell you what, you go with us, you won't get drunk. You get in the car tonight and we're going. You get in the back with the rest of the junk. Because up front would be the guy sober a year. He just got his car back. Just got his the registration. He took it off. Now he got it back. For a year. He'd probably say about that. I'm sober a year. And by God, they give him a license back. You know. And now he's got a car and he's got a pigeon who's sober six months. They're always like that. Bill, for instance, would be the guy with the year. And he's driving. And his pigeon would be Pete or something. And, uh. And this guy, Bill, would say something, and people would say, that's right, Bill, that's right, that's right, that's right. And all the guys in the back, where the junk guys like me, are always arguing and fighting back there. And I tell this Bill to begin with, I don't want to ride in the back. That guy in the front, he's younger than me. He's my pigeon. He rides up here. You ride back here with George. I say, you know what, Bill, I don't like George. <laughs> he says, that's funny, he don't like you either. He just don't. <laughs> so you ride back here with him. 
Lloyd go in the back with all these junk guys. And all the junk guys always had some kind of weird stuff. You know, one of them had crutches or something. And, and they couldn't fit anywhere. Or somebody wanted to bring a big box full of shit or something. Has to put it up behind you or something. And it's bumping your arm. And then one guy in the middle always stinks. You know, if, you have a, if you're getting a garbage man sober, he can only make meetings right after work. Comes straight, gets in there, sits between you and the other guy. And there's never any women in that car unless they are really ugly or really crazy. Just absolutely, I mean, stone-throwing crazy. And uh, one of them just sitting there, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't touch me. You know. Say, I ain't touching you. I'm hanging on top of the garbage van, for God's sake. Wait. And then that kind of women would say, put the garbage man beside me. At least he's a nice guy. He's not a smart ass like you. you know. Would sit back there in this, in this literal hell of a car and drive to meetings that you, you pass ten meetings before you get to this thing. I don't know why they chose him, but they'd want to go, they want to go see Jim. Now Jim would be like a 58 year old ball headed fat guy. And I don't know why they liked him. He wasn't funny. He didn't seem to have any money either. He got his clothes on Goodwill or Kmart or worse or whatever. And uh, and I didn't really like him when I was new because he didn't say nothing cute or slick. And But he always knew them. He knew if they got that job. He knew if their wife was out of the hospital yet. He knew all these little subtle things you can't remember, you know, when you need them to use people, you know. Because you always want to walk up there and say, how's your little boy George? It's not George. You know, and it's a girl too, and her name. So I'd always mess that up. But these guys would genuinely be following these other guys, and they knew, and they had love in their heart, and they were actually thinking of others. And these guys that were sober a year or so knew that, and they wanted to go be with guys like that. And they wanted to talk to them, and they wanted to, they wanted, they just wanted to be in AA. And I just wanted to just get another day in, you know. And so I'd be back there, and then we'd have these these talks in the car. One guy would say, you know what, I didn't tell you guys yesterday, but I know I'm going to get drunk. And everybody would say, why? He'd say, well, you know, my Georgia or my Georgette or whatever left me, and I can't make it without her. I love her, and and she's gone now. And and the other guy would say, you want my Susan? You can have her. (laughs) And then everybody else in the car would laugh, you know. And it would go around with another sad story about a guy needs a job or he can't stay sober. And then somebody would offer him their job because he can't stay sober with it. And it would just go around and every and only the offended one wouldn't laugh. Everybody else would laugh. And then this thing would go so fast in a car, you'd end up laughing at your own trouble. You'd just make a mistake and you'd th- when, remember, that's me. What the hell am I doing here laughing? You know? And you'd get tricked into laughing. Now you're laughing at damn near everything. And... And day after day, you're going out with this this shock troops, these Nazi sponsors, and and I'm getting anxious to go. And I'm trying to, I want, I'm waiting for. You know, I wasn't sitting in some quiet chapel with sun streaming through stained glass windows when I when I, when I came to believe that this program worked for me. No, no, I was sitting on a toilet waiting for them to come and pick me up, and I'm anxious to go. I'm thinking, man, I want to get, you know, it's like a a constant soap opera where all their stories, one's looking for a job, one's trying to get rid of one, one's getting a divorce, the other one's getting two divorces, and it's just, and I want to get another chapter of this. It's better than any television, 
and I want to be with these guys because I could say anything in that car I wanted. I could talk as filthy as I wanted to, and we all smoked, and it was, you couldn't breathe. And they'd roll the window down a little bit, and then rain would come in, and they'd roll it back up again, and they'd light up, and we're just in there, you know, catching your breath. <laughs> and, and I wanted to be with them guys. And I realized that I was coming to believe that something was going to fix me. Something was going to, this thing, whatever it is, is going to help me. I didn't know what the hell it was. I didn't know what to call it. But I could call it God. So why not call it God? Saves all them incessant arguments. You know, you get around somebody that really has a good brand of sobriety, and you tell them, well, I use the group as a higher power. What? You know, what's the matter with you? I can't you look outside and see the trees, the birds, everything? Don't you know there's God? Well, yes, I know there's a God, but I'm an agnostic. See? I didn't believe in purpose. They said, I never met, I never really sat down and talked to any alcoholics that were an atheist, because that don't make sense to it. I don't think the alcoholic mind can really see an atheist. It don't make sense at all, because here I am, and however I got here, we'll blame it on this thing called God, whatever it is. God made everything. Whether God wasn't even God, we we'll still call that God, some kind of a big explosion or some other bullshit. <laughs> Just call that explosion God. That's God. So I could not be an, an atheist. But I was an agnostic. And you know, there's a lot of agnostics. A lot of good Christian alcoholics. Don't understand. There's a whole chapter. There's a chapter to alcoholics. There's no chapter to sports fans in there. You know. <laughs> so this is like sort of a primary problem for many, many alcoholics. And I like specialized in that, in that chapter of agnostics. I just read that until I just, I got sick. I just kept re- because that's where I was. That was my problem. And that was my biggest problem. And you know, that's the biggest answer in AA. God, you know, is either everything or nothing. God is either everything or nothing. You may, I mean, that's a big thing. You know, you can't hardly hang your head and say, well, I think I'm sort of joining AA. And you have social memberships here where, where you don't have to do too much or get really serious. I mean, and make amends to everybody. You know, I came to believe that a fire greater myself could fix me. Once I did that, I wanted to make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, as I understand. First, it was honesty, you know, just like the theme of your conference. First thing was that I had to realize, I had to know, I had to accept the fact that I was in deep doo-doo. And that it wasn't going to go away. And all the other things that they told me in here, that no human power could fix this thing. And I had to say, okay... All my crap's wrong. Everything I've been doing all my life is wrong. What am I going to do? And I became open. And most of the time I argued about it. I had to become willing to do it. Once I became all those three things, honest, open, and willing, I was able to do the rest of the stuff I had to do. Now, I thought honesty. You know, honesty isn't what I thought it was when I was new. I mean, I thought honest. I thought you people were crazy in here for talking about honesty. Because I thought of honesty along these lines. If I got drunk and was drinking and a cop stopped me, and he says, have you been drinking? I would say, in being honest, I would say, why, well, yes, uh, I haven't drew a sober breath in three months. <laughs> and I wouldn't tell him that. You know, I'd tell a cop, I'd tell a cop something like, you know, I never, never drank, ever. And just this morning, I found out that my blind son graduated from medical school. <laughs> That's what I'd tell the cop. If I went down to borrow money down a finance company, I'm going to go in there and tell them, look, I want to borrow $500 because I've been drinking, drinking, carousing, and gambling for a month. 
and I need to take some money home to fake my wife out into thinking that I still have some pay left. Uh, give me 500 real quick, will you, before she spots me. And this is the girl I picked up in, a, in the bar that's going to sign her name so I can get the loan. You know. I'm not going to tell him that. You know, first off, he's not going to believe that's my girlfriend. She's about 40 years older than me, you know. And, uh, of course, I looked old enough. I guess that might have worked anyhow. But I didn't tell him that. I told him, I would tell him things like, uh, I want to buy a new iron lung for my mother. Because you know? <laughs> you've got to, expedience is God when you're a drunk. If, you, if you're going to drink, if you're going to drink, forget about being honest. You're just going to screw up bigger part of your drinking. You know, you'll get no peace at all then. If you're honest, you'll be being interrogated all the time. Every time you lift the glass up, wait a minute, let me have a drink before you ask me more questions. You know, so that's no way to go. So honesty wasn't about that. Honesty in Alcoholics Anonymous was about about this drinking thing, about this uh, denial thing. What am I going to do about this thing? And I became willing to do whatever it took. I knew I practiced trying to get out of this some other kind of way. It wasn't going to happen. So I became willing. Once I became willing, there's like an underlying pressure inside of me that I have to take an inventory and that I have to take a fifth step. I didn't want to take a fifth step. I didn't want to take an inventory, but I really didn't want to take a fifth step. I, I thought, had these rationalizations, like I'll find somebody real old and sick and take it, and pray they die before they, anybody ask them what I did. Now I don't worry about that thing. You know, I did the fifth step and, and I could see where, you know, I, I, I have a, I, I made a judgment. I threw the whole thing in. I threw all my eggs in one basket. And I don't have to worry about that fifth step. Then it's not all that bad. You're never the worst. There's always somebody worse. You know, I thought I was the worst person in the world. And no matter what you do, you come in AA, you are right in the middle. You'll see. It's an amazing phenomenon. No matter how bad a person you are, or you think you are, somehow you fit right in the middle. There's people in here that you'll talk to and do stuff as bad, and other ones have done stuff worse every time. You know? And uh, so that was comforting. And I had to make amends. I thought I'd take my family and make amends to them. I would say to my wife, well, look, I've been terrible for a long time, and I won't do that anymore. Well, she's off the list, you know. And uh, it's not the way it worked. It took me four or five years to make amends to my family, to my satisfaction. You might ask her after the meeting, is he through with his amends? And her Eleanor might have slipped a little bit, and she would say, no, he's not, you know. But I don't think she would do that. I think that she's busy living her own life now and doesn't have time for that kind of crap. Her and I have come a long way. Uh, I love my family. I love my wife. And uh, I didn't know how to do that a long time ago. just didn't know how to do it. I get all excited about uh, presenting my wife with different stuff. Uh, Trickered her into, into being happy about something. I, I enjoy that. That's, that's part, of, part of the game. Like I call her Janny Baby. You know, I told my, told my sponsor one time, I'm having trouble with, her, uh, with my wife. I'm getting, you know, we're getting in a lot of arguments. He said, well, next time. Next time you get really good and mad at her, he says, Is there, who, who makes the coffee? She drink coffee? Yeah. I says, who drinks it first thing in the morning? Who makes it? I said, well, usually, I don't know, her, I guess. He said, well, get that coffee made and ready to go for her every morning. I didn't want to do that because I was mad at her at the moment. <laughs> but I knew from past experience that was a smart thing to do, so I started doing it. And a lot of times I'd be mad at my wife, and it teaches me the AA program as I, as I go through every day, unless I forget it. Because I'll be busy in a hurry, and I'm mad at her anyhow, and I'll be starting out the door, and I forgot to put that coffee on for her, you know. And I come slithering back and put the coffee on. Well, what that does for me is more than just do something for her. It reminds me, easy does it. 
I'm trying to run out that door, get on that job, because I, I got important things to do. And that's bullshit stuff, making coffee. It's that stupid sponsor of mine, anyhow, his silly ideas. He probably doesn't do it himself. (laughs) But I come back and I put it on her, because I ain't going to have, are you still making coffee for her? Why, no, I stopped that. It's silly. Oh, you're going the other way now. You go towards a drink or away. I forget which way that is, but uh, which way you're going? Well, I do it, you know. And by God, it helps me get back out that door. And it works even better when I don't want to do it. You know, if I just, I got like in a habit of doing it, and it's no big deal. You know, I do other things while I'm doing it, you know, scratch and all that. <laughs> but when I am anxious to get out of the house, and I am not thinking of anyone but myself, that sort of bumps me back up to remember what's important, you know. And my wife all along had been doing good things for me, but she got in the habit of doing that just because you're supposed to or some damn silly thing. Supposed to be nice to someone you love. I gotta remember why, you know. And, uh, I never, that burden's never been completely taken from me. You know, I have to, I have to think like that. You know, that's a, just a curse of some kind to keep us on our toes or something. I, I got two wonderful girls that, uh, that come to love me and they, all kinds of regular family stuff happened to me that's just great. You know, like it's my birthday or something. All of a sudden, pop, there they are. They come around and they, and they got little, Funny surprises and stuff for me, you know, and, and just, uh, make my day. You know, they just, uh, and they're, they're so cute. And I get a date once in a while with my daughters, you know, my, one of them's 40 years old and the other one's, uh, 30. And, uh, and I, every once in a while, and they sort of like outdo each other a little bit sometimes, you know, and we haven't had our date, dad, you know, and I get a date with one and then they, and then they, like two days later, the other one's <laughs> talking to me about our date. We're going to have a date. And they have dates with their mom, like an honor and them. The young hens and the old hens all get together now, my mother-in-law and all that, and they'll get down there, and they'll have breakfast or something together, and, and I'm excluded, you know, because this is like a girl thing. And I like being part, I like even being excluded, because I'm like part of the thing. I'm the guy that don't go. You don't go. <laughs> and, you know, I don't mind. I mean, I, I I really feel like, you know, I'm the dad, and there's the dad. You know, and sometimes dad is just so dumb, and sometimes dad's the guy to see. You make them down, present things to me that are hopelessly broke. Can you fix this, Dad? You know, Jesus, what you do with this? You know, you drop it off the University of Pittsburgh building or what the hell happened here? You know, and uh, but I like that. That gives me a feeling of pride to be able to do something for my family, for my kids. Have my son-in-law think well of my advice. Ask me. Come see me. God, I love that guy. He was coming to my life in a period when I was in AA, when I was after the drug addicts. Get away from you. Take drugs. And I'm not trying to endorse that. I think that AA is supposed to be a singleness of purpose thing. But, uh, boy, I learned a lot. He made me take him to an NA meeting. He had just got in NA and and he was scared and and, uh, dependent on me. I took him to an NA meeting. I got in there and half of them knew me from coming to AA meetings. And I thought for one terrifying moment, they thought all along I've been smoking pot or something. So when they went around the table, I told them, I'm a guest. Brought my son-in-law. You know. <laughs> and at that time, I was sober, I guess, 18 years when that happened. And they all laughed at me, and they were all young, too young to laugh at me. and <laughs> Laughed at me anyhow. And They took a little edge off of that uh, that thing in me that can hurt people, you know. And, and I'm glad for that. I, I've, I've had a lot of wonderful things happen in this program. And every damn one of them, I, don't, I really ain't deserving, you know. 
Because I don't think any of us are. It's just like too much good stuff has happened to it. It just amazes me and it drives me to, to continue. I go to a lot of meetings and I've been going to a lot of meetings a long time. I think if you talk with the outside world, they'd say, that guy is really nuts. How can somebody take 26 years and go to recovery things every week for 26 years? He must really be a serious social problem, you know. And I don't give a damn what they say. I don't care what they think because I'm not in that world anymore. I'm in a world where you go into an AA meeting and you start bitching about politicians or taxes or crabgrass or anything else. Their attention span drifts and they'll walk over to somebody that's laughing and enjoying himself. Then you know, i got to sort of brush myself off. The hell with Dolan Clinton. I'm going to talk about AA. I'm going over there with the friends and the guys are just laughing and enjoying themselves. And I can go to an AA meeting, an Al-Anon meeting and get to say, I don't go to Al-Anon meetings on a regular basis. Sometimes I end up there because I get lonely and there's no AA meeting. And uh, and I enjoy that. I think the world of Al-Anon, even though I torture them as much as I can get away with. Uh, <laughs> but the thing is, I tort- you know, that we would never put up with an AA, but there's one interesting thing I want to mention before I sit down. Is that, that we blame the Al-Anons for the non-Al-Anons' behavior. You know, they get an Al-Anon and they get better. And we make jokes about non-Alanons, ones that just don't drink and go around and torture AAs. And uh, we don't never do that with, with alcoholics. We don't have a guy come in a meeting drunk with his fly open and stumbling all over the meeting and say, now that's AA, they don't care for other people's property. You know, well, that's an alcoholic. And I'm, I'm proud to be married to an Alanon. She's like an Alanon seal, man. It scares the shit out of you. If you ain't doing right, you know. And But that's good for me. That's the kind of person needs to be in my life so I don't lie to myself. And I enjoy her. And I enjoy the rest of my family. I certainly enjoy you. God bless you and thanks for having me.